With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to episode number 87 of the History for Weirdos podcast. As always, it's so good to be sitting here to record an episode for you all. I know, and I love it when it's your week especially, because <laughs> I guess to sit back and listen to an awesome episode and not have to put any like forethought or research into it. That's how I feel when it's your week to share a story. Oh my goodness. <laughs> how funny that our favorite weeks are each other's weeks. Exactly. And before Stephanie gets started with her episode, I'd like to share just a quick announcement about our Italy trip. Woohoo! So it is official. The trip is going live a week from today, Monday the 15th. Yeah, Monday the 15th. Let me double check that date. Yes. Monday the 15th, the... Uh trip is going live which means that folks can reserve their spots right yes exactly and there's only a limited amount of spots so if you want to make sure that you're going to be able to go i would i would definitely do it sooner rather than later yeah and um as we mentioned last week the trip will be italy in the spring of 2024 and we cannot wait to go to italy with you all and do so much sightseeing history learning eating all the good stuff Guys, it's going to be like La Dolce Vita. It's going to be the best. Um, We cannot wait. We will keep you all updated. You can also stay up to date with us on Instagram is probably Mm -hmm. the best place because we give more like in real time updates on there. And our Instagram is at History for Weirdos. If you aren't following us there yet, go ahead and do so now. Exactly. And the page, even though you won't be able to book today on, you know, the day that we're recording this, the 8th. You uh, will still post the link in the show notes so you can go and take even, a look at the trip. Yeah, right? take a look at your trip and also put in your email address so you're given like updates on the trip as well. Yeah, to like kind of subscribe to the newsletter of the trip essentially. So it gives you updates specific to Italy next year. Exactly. Okay. Yay, we can't wait. You guys are going to hear so much more about this, um, obviously, as time goes on. But for now, we're just super excited. Thank you once again to everyone who helped make this happen by responding to the survey. I know. Oh, God. I I literally just cannot wait. I I am so excited. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Well, without further ado, Steph, why don't you go ahead? Actually, before I share my subject for this week, I heard something so funny on the radio on my way to work. And I thought of the weirdos and I thought of you. (laughs) Did you know... It's just a little fun fact I want to share. Did you know that in the state of Washington, Mm -hmm. it is illegal to kill Bigfoot? Mm. Okay. He is considered an endangered species. Since the 1980s, they made it illegal to kill 
Bigfoot. Okay, but let's be real. Bigfoot does not exist, so you cannot kill an imaginary creature. You don't think that's, like, legislative evidence that he does exist? I think there are really dumb people that sometimes get elected as politicians. Oh my god. <laughs> I thought that was so funny to me. It was almost like a state government sanctioned like admittance like yes, Bigfoot is real. He lives in Washington. Where else would he live? It's gonna dis- no, they did this to distract us. <laughs> Back in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. My conspiracy theory like bells are just ringing like crazy right now. Well, if you don't think that Bigfoot is real, are there any of those kind of like mystical creatures or something that you do think are real oh yeah like the really creepy ones like the skinwalkers oh my god yeah i definitely think those are real yeah those are very scary they're throughout the u.s right because they're a big part of like native american folklore right exactly oh my god those are so scary you know oh yeah for me i don't know if i believe that it's real but i'm low-key high-key scared that it is do you remember ghosts no, ghosts are definitely real. Yeah. No, I'm talking about like a specific creature. Um, the chupacabra? No, I don't think that's real. I have no idea then. The Loch Ness Monster. Oh, you teased no, me about this. No, that's a Greenland this. shark. I'm almost positive there, that was just a Greenland shark. I'm almost positive as well, but on the off chance that it's not, <laughs> I'm so terrified to ever put my foot in the loch. <laughs> What if it comes and grabs me? The water's probably really cold, so you wouldn't do it anyways. That's a good point. Yeah. Weirdos, do you all believe, and we will not judge, because obviously I'm afraid of the Loch Ness Monster, do you all believe in any, like, mystical (laughs) creatures? If so, let us know on Instagram. Yeah. You know, I, I saw this interesting, speaking of chupacabra, this interesting theory that the chupacabra is not real, but it's actually Tasmanian tigers. What? That were, yeah, they came, there's this whole backstory that, like, um, somehow, some way, like, these Tasmanian tigers were supposed to go to, like, a zoo in New York, but mm-hmm. then they, and I need to research this, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, guys, but they somehow, escaped. some, yeah, they escaped, and they went into the American Southwest, and so mm-hmm. they think that, so. In Mexico. Yeah, in Mexico, yeah, so, like, there's possibly, like, you know, it's, it's not actually a chupacabra, it's actually this, what we thought was an extinct animal. And it would be like an invasive species to those regions. Correct, yeah. yeah. Which is why the people wouldn't know of it. Exactly. That's actually a really interesting theory. Yeah, and again, just a theory, guys. Not actually fact, but... We should post pictures of the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, and these Tasmanian tigers yeah. for our Instagram post. And the Tasmanian tiger, I think they're called Thrasselines or something like that. That's that was so like, cute. That's their like official name. That sounds like a creature that would be in Harry Potter. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, they're really cute. I saw the pictures that from like the 30s. Please share pictures on Instagram then. I definitely, definitely. want to see. Okay. Well, thank you all for going down that <laughs> rabbit hole with me. I know. That ha- This conversation has absolutely nothing to do with today's subject. Oh, I love it then. Yeah. Total just tangent. Heard it on the radio. Made me think of the weirdos. I'm, I'm glad you shared. <laughs> thank you. I really am. Today, we're actually going to talk about an event Ooh, I like events. And this event happened over a hundred years ago, and it still has people scratching their heads. Oh, that's good. It's considered to be an astronomical cold case. Okay. I, yeah. I'm excited to dive into this mystery with you all, and I'm going to just jump right in. Do it. At around 7.17 a.m. 
on June 30, 1908, in a remote region of Siberia known as Tunguska. Oh, I know what this is. <laughs> and I looked up the pronunciation. I think that's correct. A massive explosion occurred. The explosion flattened approximately 18 million trees. Oh my god. And completely cleared an area of about 800 square miles. That would be 2,100 square kilometers. And it also left no impact crater, which is an important detail. I know. This is the, one of the strangest things I've ever like heard about. I knew you'd be into this. I love these things. Yes. This explosion, known as the Tunguska event, went completely unsolved for many years. It's still kind of technically unsolved. There are pretty good theories that I'll get into later, but mm. there's no concrete answer. Right. It's estimated that the impact of this event could have completely destroyed a large metropolitan area. But thankfully, as I mentioned, it happened in one of the most remote parts of the most like desolate regions of I Russia. Th thank God. Imagine if this like happened above like a major city, like millions of people could have died. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, eyewitnesses reported a fireball followed by trembling ground and hot winds the winds that would have been strong enough to knock over humans. Mm -hmm. Seismographs in Western Europe recorded seismic waves from the blast all the way in Western Europe. Oh, wow. The blast was visible. And I'm saying blast, but again, like just this kind of explosion thing. We don't know exactly right. what went down. It was visible from about 500 miles or 800 kilometers away. After this impact event, Siberia and parts of Europe experienced abnormally bright nighttime skies for multiple nights multiple nights yeah wow okay isn't that so strange that is so weird so it's kind of like the the aurora borealis or something like that maybe maybe not really but something similar it was just brighter so the aurora borealis if i'm thinking correctly it's those beautiful kind of like waves of colors right yeah. this is just brightness like it wasn't oh. as dark as normal Oh, that's weird. It's probably, though, similar in that it, I'm guessing, like, has something to do with radiation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good theory. This explosion was so big that it was actually considered the largest impact event in recorded history. <gasps> Prehistoric times apparently likely had much larger impact events than we experience now. Yes, I think so. <laughs> Poor dinosaurs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me share an eyewitness account of what went down. When you say eyewitness, like... I guess, you know, I'm not going to interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> Thanks, love. So according to a man named Semenov, who was about 80 kilometers away from the explosion, he said, in quote, Suddenly, in the north sky, the sky was split in two. Whoa. And high above the forest, the whole northern part of the sky appeared to be covered with fire. At that moment, there was a bang in the sky and a mighty crash. The crash was followed by a noise like stones falling from the sky or guns firing. The earth trembled, end quote. Oh my God. I, that's not even hard to picture in my mind. Like that doesn't clear up anything for me. No, not at all. It makes it sound way more confusing. Yeah. Were you going to ask, what does eyewitness mean? Yeah, I was going to say like how, I mean, <laughs> eyewitness, if you, you know. This is six, the closest folks were. Like that's roughly 80 kilometers, like roughly. 60 kilometers. Oh, 60 kilometers? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It's like roughly. 40 miles? Yes. Roughly? Those are the folks that are the closest. Wow. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, in general, multiple, you know, reports from varying differences describe dense clouds that formed over the region at high altitudes. Um, the night skies were glowing, and reports came in that people who lived as far away as Asia could read newspapers outdoors at midnight. That's how bright it was. Oh, my, like well after the fact, well yeah. after the actual explosion. Yeah. That is so strange. Locally, hundreds of reindeer died. No! Isn't that so sad? I love reindeer. Guys, we've actually pet reindeer. True story. Yes. Who is this a TV show or is this a friend? Just it cracks me up. Someone said that they thought reindeer were <laughs> like were fake. Like they weren't real. Creatures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're like, yeah, they're Santa's like creatures. Of course they're fake. You're mythical. Yeah, but no. Rain- but no, they're real. Reindeer are very cool. Um, if you learn about like how like strong and sturdy they are, it's actually nuts. Yeah, and they're actually really good swimmers, in case you didn't know that. They're they're they do seem mythical. They do. I would, okay, we shouldn't nerd out on reindeers too much. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately the reindeer did pass. And then what was kind of weird, um, is that when I was researching this, some sources cited that no humans perished. And then some sources cited three human lives were lost. Oh, okay. So it's a little inconsistent. Right. Maybe it's just so remote. It's it's hard to... Yeah. And and you'll see, I guess, a little bit... Um, in a little bit why probably some of those reports are iffy. But as we can imagine, the people who lived closest to the event had really terrifying experiences. Um, we have another account from a man named Kulik. Uh, who was the first person to lead an expedition to the site. Mm-hmm. So Kulik spoke with an eyewitness who, again, was about 40 miles away. Um, he did not write down the person's name. From what I could find, it was just he wrote down the quote of how the person described the event. Mm-hmm. And this uh, eyewitness stated, quote, I was sitting on the porch of the house at the trading station facing north. Suddenly, the sky appeared like it was split in two, high above the forest. The whole northern part of the sky was covered in fire. And at that moment, I felt a great heat as if my shirt had caught fire. Oh my God. And he was 40 miles away. Yeah. Or 60 kilometers, roughly. That's incredible. Also, how interesting that these two different eyewitnesses said the sky appeared split in two. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like, what does it mean split in two? I don't know. I can't picture that. Because I know, and this isn't like... Obviously, this wasn't a nuclear explosion because nuclear bombs didn't exist at this time. But mm-hmm. I know that the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, they they said that it felt like or looked like the sun had exploded. Yeah. So I was thinking like, you know, if there was some sort That's of weird though. explosion. Yeah, but that the, it, no one ever said split in two. Mm-hmm. You know what's really interesting is that you mentioned um, Hiroshima the energy of the explosion is estimated to have been equivalent to the explosive force of as much as 15 megatons of TNT, a oh, thousand wow. times more powerful than the atomic bomb that dropped on Hiroshima in Japan on August 6th, 1945. Wow. That's like, I mean, that would have been one of the largest nuclear explosions of all time. Yeah. 
not the largest. Well, crazy obviously, enough. it wasn't a nuclear explosion, but right. just an explosion. Yeah. Of some sort, which I thought that really put it into perspective for me. Yeah. So one of the many interesting elements of this case is that even though the event happened in 1908, Mm -hmm. it wasn't until the 1920s that scientists started to investigate the event. Interesting. I wonder if the Soviets, because that's like, they had just probably formed their government around that time. I wonder if that's why they, they went out there. Maybe. As I mentioned, the eyewitness testimonies from earlier, they were documented by... um, Leonid Kulik, uh, he first attempted to go to the site in 1921. He was the chief curator of the meteorite collection of the St. Petersburg Museum. And he led that first expedition to Tunguska. But the harsh conditions of the Siberian outback completely thwarted their efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, They were unable to reach the blast site until they attempted again in 1927 and they reached their goal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Since the region is so remote, um, I think maybe it took a while for news to get to, quote-unquote, civilization. Right. right? And then, again, it's such a remote and desolate and icy region. I'm sure it took a while for people to be like, maybe we should go out there and look. Yeah. I mean, it is Siberia is massive. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. Additionally, something I thought was interesting is that indigenous tribes in the region believed that the explosion was caused by the god Ogdi. I don't know if that's how you say it, but they believed this was a sign of punishment. And therefore, they were not interested in going to the impact site themselves. And they Mm. were very reluctant to discuss more when scientists started asking questions in the late 1920s. Wow, that's actually really interesting. Yeah, that's kind of like a spooky element. Yeah. Um, and while these testimonies were difficult to obtain, they when they got there, <laughs> when the team got there, there was plenty of evidence lying around uh, because the trees, still, this was in 1927, the trees had acted as markers pointing directly away from the blast epicenter in a large circle. Right, right. That makes sense. And then, like, I mean, it's always frozen there, so... Yeah, so they didn't, like, new things didn't regrow. Yeah. Isn't that spooky That's to walk really up on spooky, that? yeah. That is insanely spooky. What do you think you would imagine walking up on a site like that? I would be freaked out. I mean, now I would think, oh, some sort of... I mean, we have, like... But there's no crater, right? There's no hole. It's just flat and dead. Around. I don't, like... Honestly, I have no idea. I'd definitely have like a like a Geiger counter to measure radiation because that would be my first guess. Like, oh, some sort of like nuclear blast. Ooh. But like again, clearly there were, we didn't have nuclear bombs at this time, so it couldn't have been that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you ask, what's what caused the explosion? Yeah, like I mean, I assume that was probably next. But yeah, what caused the explosion? That's the million dollar question, Andrew. <laughs> Even today, scientists have not reached a total consensus as to what occurred on June 30th, 1908. One interesting theory, um, it's it's not the most prevalent theory, but it's one of them, is that a small piece of antimatter struck the Earth and it made contact with regular matter, which was unstable and created an explosion. Wow. Oh my God. I had to look up. I googled what is antimatter and I did research and so I'm going to share with you all what antimatter is because 
I kind of, like, I've heard of it, but to me, as silly as this may sound, it still sounds very sci-fi-y. Right. To say antimatter. Yeah. And it sounds very elusive, so I, I wanted to investigate a little further. I genuinely thought it was something that was, like, just, like you mentioned, not exactly sci-fi, but more of, like, like theoretical. Theoretical, thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. That's what I thought, too, but no, this is very legitimate. Um, so, as we know, everything in the world around us is made up of tiny particles called atoms. Oh, Little guys. Little and then guys. atoms are made up of even tinier particles. Protons, neutrons, electrons. Man, this is like like elementary school like science again. Yes, exactly. I love it. From I don't think I learned this in elementary school, maybe middle school. Um, Do you so, know that like electrons, protons, and ne- and neutrons are made up of even tinier particles called quarks? Little quarks, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What a throwback. What a throwback. Yeah. So for every particle, there is an opposite version of it called an antiparticle. Oh my god. <laughs> Which. Do you want to know what I thought of when I was doing this research? Please. There's like a theme or a story arc in Fairly Odd Parents. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Where there's the anti fairies. I don't remember them. There's like the evil versions of like Cosmo and Wanda, or like the opposite versions. Oh yes, I do remember so that. Cosmo's anti fairy is like super smart and snooty. <laughs> Yes, I remember that. Yeah, so I thought of the anti-fairies from Fairly Odd Parents. Hopefully the millennials listening get a kick out of that. <laughs> um, so for every proton, there's an antiproton. Right. Every electron, anti-electron, and, which is called a positron. So the thing about antiparticles is that they have the same mass as their counterparts, mm-hmm. but they have an opposite charge. Um, so, for example, an antiproton has a negative charge while a proton has a positive charge. Right. Okay? So they're opposites, but they weigh the same. So, when a particle and its antiparticle meet, they annihilate each other. <laughs> so they, like, absolutely hate each other. <laughs> they literally annihilate each other and release a ton of energy in the process. This is where things get really interesting. Scientists think that if we could harness this process, we could create limitless energy. Oh my god. But the thing is, antimatter is hard to create, and it's hard to store because it's unstable. So we're not there yet. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, Naturally occurring examples of antimatter in our world, because again, I thought this was maybe kind of not real... (laughs) But it is. Um, antimatter exists in lightning. Oh, whoa. That's in, pretty cool. Yeah. It's not like all of lightning, but it exists within lightning. Cosmic rays. Okay, that makes sense. Black holes. Also makes sense. And potassium decay in bananas. Are you serious? Yeah, so as your bananas go brown, there's a little antimatter <laughs> coming out. <laughs> But why isn't it causing, like, massive explosions then? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) But I thought that was so funny. That's like, okay, black Black holes, holes, cosmic cosmic radiation, bananas. (laughs) I have no idea. Um, But that is, there was even a little, like, chart and and stuff showing the (laughs) antimatter. Yeah. And bananas were on them, okay? (laughs) Okay. I didn't make this up. 
<laughs> it literally sounds like you did. Um, so when you think about everything I just described, like the what happens when antimatter and matter meet and they annihilate each other, it really does sound like a good theory. Right. That sounds like a really good theory, Yeah, actually. for the Tunguska event. You know what? That's interesting. It kind of is like a nuclear explosion. Instead of like splitting an atom, kind of is. you kind of have like two annihilating each other. Yes. They come together and boom. Yeah. Uh, but for now, antimatter, you know, we're not harnessing it to make limitless energy yet. It remains a really cool scientific curiosity that there's, you know, we're all still trying to understand better. Right. Um, and bananas have it. So there you go. <laughs> I know. Actually, while we're on the subject of nuclear explosions, I'm on a roll. But I thought you were going to say bananas. Go on. Yeah. No, not bananas. No, just fun fact. My grandmother, I don't know. Mm. I think I might have mentioned this even in a previous episode. My grandmother has seen multiple nuclear explosions. That she has. While she was like kind of stationed as a nurse, like in her, when she was in her 20s, like. In Nevada, In Nevada. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the desert. She's a really cool lady. She has pictures. She has pictures of nuclear <laughs> explosions that she's witnessed. Like, that sounds absurd. Yeah, it's, it does. But if anyone would witness that, I would think it would be your grandmother. Yeah, She's definitely. incredible. She is also like a big world traveler. If she had been around during this time, she would have immediately been like, I'll go out to Siberia. I'll check this out. Yeah. she. I mean, she did go to the Soviet Union in the 80s, mm-hmm. and she was tailed by the KGB. Yeah. Because, you know, she's... Because what else are grandmas doing besides nefarious espionage? <laughs> yeah, definitely a CIA spy. <laughs> um, so let me move on to another theory. Okay. Another more mainstream theory is that a small asteroid or comet would have exploded in the Earth's atmosphere, Mm. releasing energy that they estimate would have been around 10 to 15 megatons of TNT. These numbers sound big. I truly don't know what that means. That just sounds like a big explosion. I think the biggest uh, nuclear weapon that the U.S. ever tested was around that size. Okay. The biggest. Like, I know for a fact the biggest nuclear weapon tested ever, period, Mm -hmm. was 50 megatons. Five zero. Wow. That's... It's called the Tsar Bomba. Oh, my God. Of course it was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Some research think that whatever exploded may have been made of a more volatile substance, like methane or hydrogen because mm. they're thinking like a regular asteroid or comet would not have caused such a powerful explosion right um but the scientists who really prefer this theory are still debating what type of body caused the event again like was this an asteroid was this a comet was this a meteor if so they're still debating what was it made of and lastly how big would it have been there's right. still so many variables they do not know Right. Even amongst this theory, which seems to be the most popular. And then, of course, there's always the possibility of aliens. My favorite. But I've only seen this theory discussed on Reddit, so I don't think it's the most scientific. (laughs) I wouldn't think it was the most scientific, no. Um, But someone on Reddit shared that that they believed that like a comet or an asteroid was going to hit the Earth. Mm-hmm. And then aliens, like, blasted it for us. And oh, that's wow. why we couldn't find the asteroid or the comet. That That's an oddball theory. Yeah. Um, I hope that person's, you know, living their best life. <laughs> <laughs> so I also saw on Reddit, and yes, I was on Reddit, 
Um, this this type of event really takes you down a Reddit rabbit hole. I can imagine. I can imagine. But I saw kind of a fun theory that is so silly, but I still wanted to share it. Um, the theory is that the explosion was actually due to Nikola Tesla. <laughs> okay, okay, I gotta hear this. He was, they believe, folks believe, he was testing one of his inventions. Um, th- this invention was true. Uh, his theory for it was an invention that would allow for the wireless transformation of energy over large distances, yeah. which he was actively testing out around the time of the Tunguska event. Wow. So folks speculate that once he heard about what happened, he ceased testing and dismantled the equipment um, because he thought it was because of him. I mean, he would have died. No, no, but the energy, like, like he shot the energy out over. Oh, wow. That, that's, that is I think a theory. Was, yeah. <laughs> it's a very silly theory, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> I do like that theory. It, it's absurd, but it, I like it. Yeah. It's almost as absurd as the alien one. Yeah, I'd say they're neck and neck for the most <laughs> yeah. absurd theory here. Oh, can I can I posit a theory? Of course. Okay, so there's... A, <laughs> I'm going to sound <laughs> insane, but it could have been a rogue, like, mm-hmm. microscopic black hole that entered our atmosphere and then immediately just went... That would kind of align... on itself. That would kind of align with the antimatter theory. Yeah. But I wonder if a... Even a, a really small black hole would cause even more damage. Maybe. Because it would have a ton of antimatter in it. Yes, because they're so insanely dense. Yeah. Yeah, it would have to be like so like infinitesimally small. Right, right, right. That like... And so again, you think it would have entered the Earth's like atmosphere? Yeah, it would have entered the Earth's atmosphere and then like gotten, I don't know, disintegrated a little bit yeah and then did what black holes did and then like a little mini supernova or something or no stars do supernovas yeah i don't know exploded somehow i'm a scientist yeah this is (laughs) this is not our area of expertise by any means clearly (laughs) but it's really interesting to learn about it is yeah to guess and to research because to be honest like even Some of the most brilliant minds still don't know. It's a lot of things are theoretical. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I know you love black holes. I love space. (laughs) Like, guys, I nerd out about history, obviously. Obviously. But I also nerd out hardcore about space, too. Like, late night, like, Stephanie will be, like, watching me, like, look at videos about black holes and be like, if this came into our atmosphere, our entire (laughs) world would be, like, disintegrated. And I was like, that's so cool. It's such a lovely thing to watch before going to sleep. <laughs> All the different ways that the earth is doomed. Yeah. That's so fun. It's so much fun. Well, kind of on that note, actually, my next question when researching this was, have there been any other events? That, oh. Like Tunguska. That's a good question. The answer is yes. <gasps> I did not know that. Okay, tell me more. There have been several similar events, but none quite as dramatic as Tunguska. In 2013, for example, a meteor, we know it was a meteor, exploded over Chelyabinsk. I don't know if I said that right. I didn't look up that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Chelyabinsk. Yeah. Russia. Oh, another Russia. Mm-hmm. Again, Russia. Interesting, wow, interesting. right? Interesting, yeah. Injuring over 1,000 people. Oh, boy. And damaging thousands of buildings. And just last year, a small asteroid exploded over the Pacific Ocean 
releasing energy equivalent to 5 to 10 uh, kilotons of TNT. Okay, so that's much smaller. Much smaller. Fortunately, it happened just out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. There was no civilization nearby, and right. it caused zero damage. Okay, that's good. But it's really scary to think about how something like this could happen again. Right, like what if it happened over a city? Like a, Yes, exactly. That's, that's terrifying. That's what a lot of uh, scientists have been wondering. So there are actually several efforts underway to detect and track potentially dangerous asteroids and comets, at least since that's what we understand the most. Again, I don't know right. what they're doing about antimatter and black holes and things like that. I think there's much we could do. Yeah. Uh, NASA has a program called the Planetary Defense Coordination Office. That's so cool. That sounds like Halo stuff. Or... It sounds so cute for some reason to me. <laughs> um, they are tasked with identifying potential impact threats and developing strategies to mitigate those threats. That's, That's a cool. really cool job, right? That's really cool. Yeah. There are also private companies. Uh, one is called Planetary Resources and one is called Deep Space Industries. Those sound fake. They, that sounds literally out of science fiction. But they're real. And they are working on asteroid mining and exploration. And in general, their research isn't as focused on defense, but it could help us better understand the composition of the objects and how to deal with them if they were to pose a threat. Yeah. And then lastly, this event is very beloved by all sorts of weirdos all over the world. So unsurprisingly, there are a lot of pop culture references to Tunguska, and I wanted to share what those are. Oh yeah, please. Have you ever heard of Call of Duty? Oh, you know what? I think I have heard of Call of Duty. Well, it features a level in in the game Call of Duty. I don't know if there's many. There's a lot of Call of Duty games. That's really weird. I'm such a mom, because I just wrote, in the popular video game, Call of Duty... I know, that's so funny. Like, the first Call of Duty game came out, like, 20 years ago. Well, there's a level in it called Tunguska, in which the player must search for a crashed alien spacecraft in the Tunguska region. So, Call of Duty started off as, like, a World War II, like, okay. game, and then clearly, obviously, after a certain point in time, it's gone all <laughs> over the place. So I don't know in which one, but that that's what I found. Um, it's also been referenced in various sci-fi shows and movies, unsurprisingly. Yeah. Uh, the TV series Fringe and the film of Star Trek Generations reference the Tunguska event. And then guess what, babe? This one's going to blow your mind. What? In the book, uh, or the comic book and TV series, The Umbrella Academy... <gasps> The Tunguska event is referenced as an event that occurred on the same day where the those main characters were born. I didn't catch that. It's not that it happened in 1908. They're arguing that they referenced Tunguska, but it's happening in the 80s when our main characters are born. Interesting. Yeah, that on that same day when they were all like spontaneously born, the Tunguska event happened. Okay. I didn't catch that when we first I did, saw it. I didn't catch that either. In fact, actually, you know what's funny? There was this TV show, like, it was almost, like, dubbed as, like, a fake reality show. Uh-huh. And it took place in Siberia, and, like, it was it was around, like, where the Tunguska event happened. Ooh. I don't remember the name of it, but it was really interesting. Unfortunately, it was canceled. Oh, that does sound interesting. Yeah. And then, if anyone has not seen the Umbrella Academy, totally recommend it. Yeah, Definitely. And then the Tunguska event also features prominently in the plot of the novel The Tunguska Mystery. Oh. By Vladimir Robstov. 
which explores the various theories and hypotheses surrounding the event in case anyone is interested in learning more. Okay. As we can see, this event has captured the imagination of creatives across genres, and its mystery just inspires us to this day. I'm not surprised, honestly. It yeah. is, it's just weird. It's really weird. I do think most likely it's probably the comet exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am really intrigued by the antimatter hypothesis. That's really cool. Since I had to learn what antimatter was for this episode, I'm rooting for the <laughs> antimatter hypothesis to be, <laughs> to be the one. So I wanted to wrap this up by sharing that in addition to those initial investigations in the 1920s, mm-hmm. on-site investigations were performed by Soviet scientists in 1958 through 1961. And by an Italian-Russian expedition, interesting. Interesting. In 1999. Any like anything that they learned from it, or is it just that might just be how we've gathered some some of our theories? Mm. I think others, um, like NASA in particular, has studied this a lot, but I don't know if they've done like an on-site expedition. I feel like here's the thing. Like I feel like if there was a comet though, and it exploded, you would have found fragments. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. It's Almost... amazing how much progress we've made in understanding, like, our planet, but we still don't know so much about the universe. We know basically next to nothing. Yeah. And apparently we know even less about the ocean, which is crazy. Oh, don't eat... Oh, that... The ocean's terrifying. Yeah. I love to surf, but I, I but just... But the deep I can't... Sea? No, no, no. I don't even think about it because it is too scary. It's very scary. Um... I see this event, the Tunguska event, as a great reminder of how much we still have to learn yeah. about our planet and the cosmos in general. So much more should be done to, to learn about that. Definitely, I agree. And then while researching this episode, I personally felt a teeny bit freaked out <laughs> about another Tunguska happening in our lifetime. So I'm going to end the episode with a somewhat uplifting statement. From Don Yeomans, manager of the Near Earth Object Office at NASA. Okay, very cool. Yeomans said, quote, From a scientific point of view, I think about Tunguska all the time. Putting it all in perspective, however, the thought of another Tunguska does not keep me up at night. End quote. Okay, good. I don't need to, I don't, I need literally zero further explanation. I trust this guy. He works for NASA. Okay, we're good. He's not worried. I'm not worried. Yeah. Done. Done. (laughs) (laughs) And my sources for this week were Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica. Got a lot of information. They have multiple articles there. NASA's website actually has a lot of information. A really cool YouTube video that I recommend on a channel called Fascinating Horror. And then, yeah, they had a lot of cool stuff that I'm going to check out. And then last but not least, Wikipedia. Because what is History for Weirdos without that? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. That was really interesting. I felt like I knew like a decent amount about Tunguska, but you you definitely taught me a lot more. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, especially about the the whole antimatter thing. I mean, honestly, just antimatter alone, I literally thought that was just a theoretical concept. But no, it's in bananas. It's real. It's in bananas. Black holes and bananas. (laughs) Black Holes and Bananas is a good band name. That's a great band name. Yes. Weirdos. Oh. Someone out there. Oh, maybe we should 
we should make a band. Oh, I don't think I have time. Thank you, though. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> well, weirdos, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. And you know what to do, guys. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen. And then also follow us on History for Weirdos on the Instagram if you have not already done so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, weirdos. Until next time. Adios. Adios.